This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Welcome to Big Monday. My co-host, Mr. Barry Spears, is with us. Barry, how was your weekend? It was too fast, sir. Too fast as always. Yeah. Two days doesn't seem like enough. Right. That's the one thing the, the French have have right. And that they, they have like four-day work weeks and stuff. Interesting. Yeah. They suck at wars, but they're good at days off. Uh, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> well, it was a uh, more or less the final weekend of Breeders' Cup preps. Uh, outside, maybe a, I, I don't know, straggler or two running and and something else coming up, but. Um, um, I'll be honest, I don't know how many true contenders race this week. I think that uh, a lot of the races were pretty soft. Um, go. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I think uh, Happy Saber kind of... I think Happy Saber up. has zero chance. Uh-oh. He's slow. He runs threes on the thoroughbreds. You need to run a minus three. How's he going to make up six points? Because you cannot convince me that the race he ran on Saturday in the Jockey Club Gold Cup was any kind of big figure or even a big race. There was no one in the race. You had two crows that finished fourth and fifth. You had one of the world's biggest underachievers on the lead in slow fractions. And you had a mediocre three-year-old on the outside who, who actually probably ran a better number because he was three wide while... while while the winner got the rail trip the entire race. Well, that being said, since since we're gonna go there, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a, a an NBA ism right now. Happy Saber has upside. He does, and I don't like using that in 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 horse racing because they all have upside to a certain degree. I don't, I don't think the third-place horse in that race has any upside. <laughs> no, but I think Happy Saver does. Um, as, as he didn't run, like you said, he didn't run the, the most, you know, spectacular race or even, you know, one that, that could be considered fast for that caliber of horse. But I do think he's capable of running faster. Well, he, he's going to have to run. You, you know what? You want to make an NBAism? He's the Nuggets. <laughs> nice, nice make talent. Every year, but never but need another piece. He needs another three or four points and speed figures. You know, and that's the thing is that I don't think this race. You can call it a grade one. It was a grade three, maybe. It was a shitty race. There's no other way of putting it. And I know that um, 
that there'll be 50 people that'll say, well, 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 you know, blah, blah, blah. And let's face it, the Fayette, which was the older horse race at Keeneland, that wasn't exactly um, a stellar group of horses either. Um, Mr. Freeze winning off the pace and then, you know, fending horses off says really more about the rest of the field than it does about him. But um, I think that the main contenders are uh, are just so much faster than Happy Saver at this point of his career. And he is a three-year-old. And yes, he can improve. But are, are you going to... If he was 50 to 1, I'd take a shot. But he's not going to be 50 to 1. He's undefeated, which automatically is going to... It going to It's going to make it... It's gonna, it's gonna make it, you know, a much lower price because some people are fascinated by undefeated horses, even though he's won a maiden allowance race, a, a, a soft uh, stake, and the worst jockey club gold cup ever. But he is undefeated, and that will, you know, and he's he's got popular connections, and and he'll take a price, and like I'm not the world's greatest gambler, but I know that taking underlays on horses that need to improve a lot. A lot. He has to improve a lot. And this race, it just, because there was no one else behind them, made it so much easier for him to just sit there on the inside and not have to make any moves. Tacticus, or whatever his stupid name is. You know, it's just... He, you know, I, I, honestly, uh, here I am talking about figures, and here's a horse that was two or three f- points faster than everyone going into the race, but he just doesn't have it. He just simply doesn't have it. And I don't know what excuse they were making for him other than he doesn't want to be on the lead, but I'm not sure what else you're supposed to do when you go 25 to the quarter and you're in front. I mean, how much further can they can can you take a horse back? You know, it's 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 just uh, that's what that you know. Th- th- my point, I guess, about the whole race is it just was like it was like a workout, except at a mile and a quarter. It was run at slow fractions under no pressure, and and they just ran down the lane, and 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 Happy Saver just outran um, Mystic uh, Mystic Guide basically out sprinted him the, the last part of it and and they came home you know reasonable fractions I mean, the t- final time in a race wasn't terrible but i don't know there's there's something completely unfulfilling about that race and and i just think that and i'm not going to cry that the field sucked because it did suck but that's the way it is and it, it, it's just i i just don't see anything coming out of that race going forward in winning a big race. I, I not not at this point. Maybe next spring, but the horse has come a long ways in a short period of time and and his connections have done a great job spotting him. It was actually a really sharp move to go in this race as it was uh for maybe the first time in the history of of horse racing, the Jockey Club Gold Cup was a weaker race than the Preakness. So you know they certainly you know have, have made all the right choices, but I, I just can't get excited about him. I, I really can't. I'm, well, I'm not. I'm not gonna you know ring the bells and tell everybody to go to the windows for Happy Saver, but I don't think he is as bad as that race made it seem. If that makes any sense, 
I, I mean, I, I, I don't enjoy watching Cassidus lose every time. Although I do, because I always bet against him. Um, but I, it, it's, it's just, a, you know, as, as far as the way he finished up, I, I, liked, I liked what he did. It might not have been the fastest race, and I, I think he may have another, another move up in him. You better. And that's that's <laughs> what we're gambling on. You know what I mean? That that that's where the gamble is, and whether or not he can come out of that race and run better. I, I wouldn't be sold on him as a as a win prospect in the classic for sure, but I don't think he's going to run that bad where he couldn't hit the board, be second, third, whatever. It wouldn't surprise me. It would surprise me, but really? that, that's why I, I don't see him hitting the board on Breeders' Cup Day. No. Okay. I, I don't see him getting anything. I, I see him. I see him seventh by seven, and and running a lifetime top. So. I probably he'll probably gallop it, and by three. <laughs> you know yeah, what? You know what? Was interesting. He's, just, he's just one of those horses where, you know, you really don't know what he is. There's never point. really... I, honestly, I, I was thinking about this, and I, I, I didn't, like, go back through every single um, Breeders' Cup Classic PPs because, you know, racing sucks in, in having information available, so it's, it's hard to find them. But I don't think there's ever been a horse exactly like him that's running the Breeders' Cup Classic. A horse no, that's it's, it's only has four starts. It's undefeated. Um, and, and, you know, there's just no real precedent for him. And I've been very um, vocal in saying that this is an extremely competitive Breeders' Cup Classic. There are seven or eight horses that wouldn't be shocking if they won. But I don't think any of these horses is really that good. I don't think there's any stars. There's no one to be afraid of, that's for sure. That's why you're going to get a big field. But I just don't know, even in a, ra- a year like this, if a horse is as lightly raced as him, who has really never had a straw on his path, is going to be able to um, deal with a 12, 13-horse field of horses that are battle-tested, uh, I just don't know that that he's good enough to do that at this point, and you know maybe he is, but I will bet against that unless he is an outrageous price. Um. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I mean, that, that's that's definitely the logical way to look at it. But it is twenty twenty, and things aren't always what they seem. Twenty twenty, um, like. <laughs> Jamie Mahia might enter one in, in the Breeders' Cup Classic at 987 to 1 and, and do an Arcon up the rail with Jerry Bailey riding, coming out of retirement. That's that's how it's, it's been this whole year. But, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not too enthused about anybody in the Classic, to be honest. I mean, I can see, you know, maybe five horses right now that could probably win it. You know, there's, there's a couple of three-year-olds that are just as likely to improve who are faster than Happy Saver are. And that's where my focus, I think, will probably be in the, in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Yeah, 
though it's a long yeah, ways away. The, the, way, the, the way things are going now, who, right, who, who knows who's even going to make it into the gate? Who knows if, <laughs> you know, there's not going to be a tidal wave at Keeneland that week or something happens or uh, uh, you, you just, the way, like you said, the way things are going today, people are getting knocked off like crazy. Boy, Joe Morgan today, uh, uh-huh. Gary Jones. Gary Jones trained one of my favorite horses, um, Turkoman. Who was? Oh, yeah. it, it's funny because uh, <laughs> Turkoman was a lot of people's favorite horse. People liked that horse for whatever reason. He was a big, kind of uh, just a big one-run horse. He used to, you know, get get rolling at the quarter pole and 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 just roll by the horses. And even when he didn't win, he he made it exciting. But um, actually. He was the big favorite in the Breeders' Cup Classic of 1986. That's right. And he got upset by by uh, Skywalker. Skywalker. Who was yeah. who was was a a turf to dirt. That's when that was actually still a uh, a theory. Turf to dirt was a big theory. Now they run so many turf races, it, it, it's you don't it, it's a dead theory. The Euro bounce too. It used to be the horses would come from Europe, and they they run really big first time. And then you bet against them second time. A lot of a lot of theories that that no longer seem to be pertinent. I was, um, you know, looking at the results for Sunday, and it it still looks funny to me that the futurity and the 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 um, uh, the matron are 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 turf races. <laughs> <laughs> it just it's it just looks funny. Um, I was I was happy to see uh, Phil Gleaves, second of July, who uh, who broke his, his maiden at sixty eight to one, came back and won again at, at a little shorter price at fifteen to one. But um, he's by a sire named Jack Milton, who who really has has far exceeded expectations, and he's turned into a really really nice turf sire. He, he gets a ton of winners. And this is just another nice horse by Jack Milton, and I, I don't. I think he stood for like seventy five hundred his first year. It's pretty low. Yeah, yeah, that that fee will be going up because he's got a lot of winners. Um, I will say that uh, the Philly half of that race, Wesley Ward source Royal Approval, who. Um, was an impressive winner. Actually, ran faster. Their division ran faster than the boys, and it's just another Wesley Ward horse who just defies logic sometimes. And he can get these horses to sprint. The horses by Tiz now out of a Malibu Moon mare. So you're thinking, yeah, like mile and an eighth, mile and a quarter on the dirt, and of course the horses winning graded stakes, going six furlongs in the turf, which you know what Wesley can get anything to run fast. It's just it's unbelievable. As two-year-olds, especially, I mean, just just uh, I, I saw one day at, at Keeneland in a four and a half furlong maiden race. He had a kitten's joy open up five in April. Two-year-old. I said, How can you possibly get a kitten's joy in April to open up five in a four furlong dirt sprint? And he just laughed. <laughs> uh, but. Speaking of guys who do good with sprinters, um, everyone was talking about 
um, Nashville, who just dominated an allowance at, at Keeneland. Destroyed. I mean, that, that was a... You couldn't win any more impressively than that. It was just a... a, a like a, a practice run. But I thought Jackie's Warrior ran really well in... Um, even though John Embryol kept calling him her, um, the horse ran really impressively in the Champagne, and I'm really not sure what's behind him in that race. But he did what he's supposed to do. He did what he's supposed to do, and and yeah, he got you know reasonable fractions, twenty three and change, forty six and change, but he he did it the way he's supposed to. I said, you know, he he looked like Devil's Bag when Devil's Bag won the Champagne. There's a lot of similarities. Um, Jackie's Warrior didn't debut at Saratoga, but his coming out party was at Saratoga. I remember Devil's Bag was like an international... He was all the rage, man. He was an international tip the first time he ran. <clears throat> and um, and and he... I think he still paid like 8 to 5. And that's how crazy it is these days that, that these same type of horses go off 2 to 5 or 3 to 5. But um, he was a... He was an amazingly talented horse as a two-year-old. And like Arazi, who was a, a, another horse who, who was just a spectacular two-year-old, <clears throat> uh, Nichips got him, and Devil's Bag was never quite the same as a three-year-old. I remember watching him race at Hialeah, his first race back, and at this point, we kind of thought he was, like, invincible. And um, time for a change beat him. And Dr. Carter beat him, and, and that was at Hialeah in, uh, I can't remember which of the races. That's when Hialeah and Gulfstream used to flip-flop the opening, the early dates. Yeah, I remember that. But um, as it turns out, Swell wound up being the better the better horse, and that was Woody's second string. And, you know, you talk about, like, accomplishments, and Woody Stevens, what he did in the Belmont, of course, was uh, something that will probably never be matched winning five in a row, and that's not to under, you know, that, that's not to, like, disregard all the other things Woody Stevens did. I mean, he won everything. And people forget, he was doing it with 40 horses. 40 horses. That's a small string. That's like a, a C string for these guys these days. I mean, just the amazing, amazing training that, that they used. And yes, they used to get, he used to get good horses. No doubt about it, but but um, the accomplishments from guys like Woody Stevens are, are it's hard to even imagine that you could do what 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 he did with the the size stable that he had, and uh, and, and that's that's who Jackie's Warrior reminded me of. You you looked a lot like Devil's Bag the other day. Impressive. I mean, yeah. I saw you put that uh, YouTube video up and. I watched it, you know, I remember that when, when Devil's Bank won, um, but the race looked eerily similar, too, just the whole way it unfolded and everything, and it almost looked like the same race, uh, reincarnated, uh, you know, on, on, uh, Saturday, it was, it was pretty uncanny, um, but again, you know, it's, you know, going forward, it's like, you know, She's going to be, I mean, geez, I get the town every hour. Um, <laughs> he's he's going to be the, he's the, probably the biggest favorite, I would think, on, on Breeders' Cup Day. You'd have to imagine he would be, right? Like, Yeah. I mean, he's, um, he's, been, he's been getting further and further ahead in every race. 
Right, and you know that it's just crazy how those those things come about on Breeders' Cup Day and what happens. <laughs> and the funny thing is, this will be his first start around two turns. Right, and that that's that's where people are going to knock him and probably find that reason to bet against, which I'm not totally opposed to myself. No, I that may be the angle, but I mean. I haven't seen anybody more impressive personally, but no. that doesn't mean they can't win. I, I do want to recognize that, that uh, Jackie's Warrior was bred by Mr. Carlo Becareza. That's my man. Yeah. <laughs> Veal chops and, and breeding. Um, money. Money in the bank. He right bred here. Mike's uh, um, little Mike. And he bred little Mike from a mare that was essentially a a, um, a giveaway mare that he got that um, no one wanted. He got, I think he bought her for five hundred bucks. And this mare um, that Jackie's Warrior is out of is um, she's by AP five hundred. So it's he's he's doing pretty good breeding horses that aren't out of. Uh, uh, Northern dancer mares, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, this one looks good. No, co- of course, you know Carlo. Every single day, he's kicking himself <laughs> for having sold a horse. I should have kept this one. Um, I thought, you know, it kind of got overshadowed by the the tacticus um, debacle and Jackie's Warriors domination, but. Um, Day out of the office was really impressive, really impressive, and uh, her time was was only uh, uh, I think a fifth, two fifths slower than Jackie's Warrior did, and she she was really I, I was impressed by her her. Yeah, you, you kind of have to be. Um, just finished up really well, in my opinion. And usually that that kind of thing duplicates. So, um, from a betting perspective, you know you can expect that happen happening again. It's not like a speed horse that just wants to wants to just slow down and, and stop on on a given day or after running too hard. That kind of trip translates. I thought it was interesting that the trainers of the first three horses. In the Frisette, were Tim Ham, Butch Reed, and Bentley Combs. Nice to see the smaller guys do well in, in Grade One races. Always, you know. I mean, if, if it's if there's anything you are for, it's the little guy. Everybody As should be for the little guy. Right. Exactly. Because the but big somehow, guy. That's not the case. <laughs> Listen, I, and, and, and like, this this kind of thing makes me nuts, but the Jockey Club today announced that their new owner of the year is MyRacehorse.com. Oh, man. And it is like, nobody gives a damn about new owner of the year, okay? Because they keep giving it to people that... They keep giving it to really rich guys. <laughs> that, that's definitely true. Like, don't... 
it's just like the 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 tone that's set when they do things like this, they just don't get. The rest of us don't like you. You know? That's why people are getting out. Because they feel like the rich guys are just jamming everything down people's throats. And maybe that's always been true. But they were never so blatant about it. MyRacehorse.com owns 12% of a horse. And they're going to give them the owner of the year. And how many of them are real owners? None. It's crazy. What about guys that really came into the game and, and put money in and, 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 and they're, they're making big investments and, and they're doing well? It's, it's just like a slap in the face. And like I said, it's, it's, it's just a made-up award. I, I think I, I just don't understand. It's, it's funded by a billionaire. And I have nothing against those people, personally. It's a good idea for them. <laughs> but the tone that it sets is so poor. It just is another, you know... It's not innovation that's going to help the business. No, it's, re it's, it's like in the NBA when they, they keep hiring the same coaches to different teams the people you that know, paid $200 for they had a nice thrill the horse got one more race left in his career probably but you're talking about people who put 200 bucks up how are they are they going to suddenly say oh I'm going to spend 150000 next year it's nice that they're they're, they're be able to, to, to say they're a piece of something I get it they don't have the money but that's the whole point you're essentially you're recognizing the billionaires that made money off of those people as the owner of the year. And that's just not, to me, it's, it's just like, I, again, it's not like it's an important award. It's a, you know, if me and you decided to have the, the, the Big Monday Awards, right? And we could name, you know, whoever we want to do, and then maybe we will. But it's just a made-up thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like, there's no rules. <laughs> we, we can change the rules. It's not like an Eclipse Award. There's nobody actually voting on this. But it's like, man. The guy put it perfectly. He said it's it's like this is going to be uh, a classic bad racing takes in like two years. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I hate to have to rant. I was trying to be positive, but Man, sometimes this game just drives you nuts. Yeah, you know, I mean, just like you said, it's like, well, when when is the, the little guy going to get a win? It doesn't even have to be like, you know, a Cinderella story. It can be a little guy who's, you know, a guy who's owns 12 horses and maybe has them at, at, at a, a, you know, a track other than Belmont or, or Santa Anita. I mean... There's other racing, and that just seems like it, it fails to register. The money is made on, and, and this is this is what what tracks sometimes the the tracks that that really do well seem to understand this. That if you have a big field of cheap horses and people bet a million dollars on it. That that's better for business and better for the business than having a quote unquote 
good field of horses with five horses in it and having it be having 440,000 bet on it. And that's something that at some point the the racing business is going to have to like either deal with or it's going to continue to to go um you know to go into the gutter we're going to continue to go down and i i know i'm not a proponent of having five claimers every race that's you know mountaineer basically but those kind of horses the, even the claiming crown even the claiming crown you got a couple big outfits just load the box guys have 12 13 horses for nine or eight races and it's just um, it's frustrating because I know that a lot of people are, are walking away from this and a prominent people because they just don't feel like they have a chance and they just feel like they're getting hammered over the head and if you're in a partnership game how, how do you feel having to compete against Wayne Hughes when he can put up a million dollar horse and it means nothing. It's nothing. Nothing out of their pocket, really. Just another horse. I mean... Well, I mean, betters, betters are feeling the same way, to be honest. And that that's, doesn't spell... Sure, absolutely. Like a good formula, because, you know, I see it all the time. People tell me, you know, whether it's the DMs and what have you. They said, you know what? I, I just don't feel like doing it anymore. They, they've beaten me up so much that I feel like I, I have no no edge, no way to, to, to outsmart certain things and, and entities and you know, all the all the outside forces, all the inside forces and they just don't want don't play. I mean, or they'll play very sparingly. They'll play, you know, once a month on a weekend where maybe there's a big race and they'll play the late pick four and that's it. And these were guys that were playing all day at least Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then probably hit somewhere in the middle of the week when they had some time. And that that loss, you know, adds up over time when people are just leaving. And, and the thing about it is a lot of them just don't say anything. They just stop betting. It's not like they're out there saying, oh, I forget it, I quit. They just stop. Exactly. And that's when you see... That's when when it, it'll really be shocking. We're like, well, where did everybody go? You know, the party's not over. We have horse sales, Barry. The horse sales, half the horses that are cataloged don't get sold. Half. That's amazing. A, a good reason is there's just not enough people buying horses anymore. And you think that... Uh, excuse me, not you think, but what you said is about the betting angles. It's the same. People, they, they see these big money people betting into these jackpot pools. They see odds changes. They see terrible cards. California racing is terrible right now. Terrible. This weekend was terrible. Today, look at the, the five horse fields in five out of eight races. Carded with five. That's rough. Carded. They handled less money on Santa Anita on Saturday than they did on Friday. I don't know that that's ever happened. I don't know that's ever happened that Santa Anita handled more on a Friday than they did on a Saturday. They handled less than $12 million on Friday and Saturday. 
Belmont did almost $20 million on Saturday alone, and it's not like Belmont's card was spectacular. They had a couple short-priced favorites. They had a, a five-horse stake. Uh, I mean, the Flower Bowl was a competitive race, but it wasn't like it was a 12-horse field. I mean, the Sands Point had a couple scratches in it. And that that's like, um, you know, not an Irish got, you know, did, did, did pretty well, comparatively speaking it. But California's racing stinks. It just stinks. And I understand that there might be forces beyond people's controls and... But how many more excuses can we hear before people in this business start to want to change things? And giving awards to people like, you know, MyRacehorse.com is just more of the same. And it's just, um, it's like giving award for the, you know, for the, for the innovation of the year to Walmart. You know, having having nobody working the checkout lines, which is a terrible innovation, actually. But, but um, you know, I, I really didn't want to like go into rants, but sometimes this businessman, I just wonder if anybody's home. Well, that that's always been my kind of view on it. It's like, what are they looking at, or you know, it's like. They have to see these things. Somebody does. It's just not us or you um, seeing these things, but I just don't understand why they want to ignore it and not address it. You know, even if, if even if they have to do a little something, these, why not do it? So many, I, I just don't understand the motivation why not to do something. Barry, so many, people, so many people in positions of power in this business have arms longer than Taco Falls. Because they cannot help but pat themselves on the back all the time. It's just it's a self-congratulatory thing. This game is dying right in front of our faces. If you're handling the same amount of money that you were handling 15 years ago, that's about a 30 or 40% loss. What can you buy today at the same price uh, something that was 10, 15 years ago? Not a damn thing. Right. <laughs> and people talk about contraction. The business is going to contract itself right out of business. It's been contracting for a long time. There's less races and less races and less races and less races and less horses, less owners, and less betters. I just don't see why no one feels this urgency. And maybe I'm just... Um, sometimes I think I just care too much and a lot of people just don't care enough and I think that it's tough sometimes for guys who are running racetracks to be completely transparent about their view of things because they answer to a boss they answer to an owner they and um, sometimes telling, uh, you know, if your quarterback's not really feeling that well, you're not going to make call the other team and say, hey, you know, his right ankle's bothering him, so you should put as much pressure as you can. <laughs> you know, sometimes you're, you're better off not quite 
to saying things and trying to figure out solutions to those problems before everyone knows that the problems are there. But you have to be pretty naive to not think that there's not big issues here. And uh, virtually every track I know is looking to cut dates. And they're going to have to. The problem is how are they going to do it? You know, what solutions are there? There's, there's solutions that deal with working with other jurisdictions and other circuits to try to come up with um, logical schedules that fit, uh, that, that, that allow everyone to, to eat, you know, allow everyone a little um, piece of the pie. But um, I, I just don't, I just have so little faith these days. I just really have um, uh, so many, uh, you know, like the disqualifications, like today's last race in New York. I mean, the horse comes out, he he bothers the horse who wound up finishing third, gets beat right at the wire, and it looked like a pretty easy call, and they leave it up. <laughs> and it, it's it's one of those kind of like, all right, he didn't clip heels. He, he didn't, like, body slam the horse. But under left-handed, you know, uh, uh, under the left-handed whip, the horse ducked out five or six paths and definitely affected the the running, um, you know, took the path of of the horse who finished third and, and who, who, who just got beat for third. And I, I just don't know how you leave that up, and, and that's... It's just confusing, and, and you just don't know what to, to say. That they took a horse down in, at Gulfstream yesterday in the third race that looked like kind of incidental contact passed right on top of the wire, and they looked at yeah, it for quite a while. Yeah, I, I wasn't feeling that one. <laughs> no, and I, I mean... It was a little bit more of a judgment call than today's because today's I thought was made easier by the horse, um, by the twelve, getting caught for second right, right right at the wire and I don't know how you could make any claim that that the the interference didn't bother that horse enough to cost him a nose. It wasn't like he got beat three quarters of a length. He just got beat and. I mean that's that's frustrating. It's very frustrating. I didn't I, and I didn't bet a penny in any of those races. I didn't bet a penny in e- either of the races. I I thought they made the right call at Keeneland in the second race on Saturday. Yeah, I saw people up in arms about that one. It was a little weird, and I think it was it was too much for a lot of betters to to comprehend. <laughs> well, and, and they just totally dismissed it. It was like, oh well, they shouldn't have took the two down. Well, the two interfered with the five. It was clear that he yeah, interfered it with the was five. Very clear. And everyone me. said, "Well, the five didn't finish up." Yes, but the right. five was right in with the pack, and maybe he wouldn't have finished. But the two body slamming him clearly affected the horse. The horse saw, like came to a walk after that, like almost pulled up, like something was wrong. And yes, the two got kind of stuck in a bad position, but that's that's not part of the rule. That's not part of the rule. And he definitely got interfered with by the six. But 
I, I don't, I, I was surprised that so many people kind of said, well, the five wasn't going anywhere. Well, that's hard to say because when you slow it down, the five was, there was four of them across the track there for a while. And the one and the seven were on the outside did not come over in front of the five. The two was the one who jammed the five behind those other horses. And I don't see anybody who bet on the two. The way the the, the horse was ridden, they, you don't deserve anything from that race. That was that was not a that was that was not a good effort on a favorite. But um, I mean, I, I thought they got it right, and according to the rules, the way they're written, and that's the other thing is that people forget. Like, even though I, you know, and then you shake your head and you say to yourself, "Well, the rules are written, Chuck." Uh, the, the way it was written, the horse in the last race of Belmont supposed to come down, but he didn't. So, there's just so much confusion on this. And this is a thing that the industry can take care of, but it won't. It won't. Because it's going to take someone to grab the bull by the horns and say, we need to have more training. We need to have the rules clarified. Pat Cummings is like the only one, and, he, and he's for that category one. And the real issue I have with the Category 1 rules, and basically the Category 1 rules are the stewards take nothing down where a horse doesn't, like, fall down. Like, unless, you know, unless you, like, force a horse over the rail or something like that. Like, it's unless it's you know, wildly agreed, yeah, yeah, like, uh, you know, like, uh, unless it's, like, uh, you know, uh, death-defying. But, and, and then you punish the jockeys. But my problem is that I don't think that the will exists to punish the jockeys enough. Paco Lopez had to almost kill two guys before they would two, give him not one, yeah, but two. Right, before they would give him any kind of significant um, penalty. And and I like Paco. Paco gave me a chicken one time, a live chicken. But um, On purpose? yeah, he, he he dropped off a live chicken at the barn. All right. Yeah, it was kind of weird, but but Did you ride him back at least. I, yeah, it had nothing to do with the horses. Like, it was just weird. It was a, a chicken at the barn. And I said, where's the chicken come from? And they said, Paco Lopez left it for you. And I said, why? And they said, we don't know. He just said, tell Chuck I dropped, I left the chicken. We thought you knew. So I didn't know. And I, 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 next time I saw him, I was like, what was the chicken for? He goes, you don't like him? I said, no, the chicken's fine. But, but why though? I go, why? Well, we, we, I was going north, and he was at the house. I said, you have chickens at your house? Don't you live in, like, a like a suburban like neighborhood? Yeah, yeah, but, you know. Uh, it was kind of, you know. The chicken disappeared one day. I'm thinking that it probably wound up being... Somebody ate it. Yeah, he was probably a victory dinner for somebody one day. But, um, but he rides recklessly, and at some point you need to penalize the jockeys strong enough where riding like that um, is is just frowned upon. And my problem with... Well, see, the other thing is this, is that I don't like when jockeys get days because personally it, it hurts everyone. And it doesn't... The jockeys that do really well... It doesn't really hurt them that much, especially when they have the rules where they're allowed to run in the, ride in the stakes. But right, they just come off the bench and go back. Yeah, after that race is over. Right. So the jockeys that would be in line to maybe pick up those mounts, 
they they not only get wiped out on the track, then they the best mounts are, are still available. But one of the things that bothers me is like when you have a jockey that fits your horse and it may not be a stake race, and then they get days for something to happen to someone else's horse, and at the last minute you're luck you're stuck trying to find a rider, which is always a difficult task. But I mean, finance. I think hitting someone in the pocket is is a much bigger. Um, a much bigger fine. See, like when you find an NBA player, or uh, I mean, you suspend an, an NBA player, they lose game checks. Some of these guys make eight hundred thousand dollars a game. So you know what I mean. <laughs> so so like, uh, it's it's a huge hit. The fine isn't the problem. It's it's the losing the the game checks. I guess eight hundred is a little rep, but there are guys that make five hundred. 500 yes, grand a game. Sure. So um, that that's where it hurts. You give a guy a three-game suspension. Well, you just find him a million and a half. Even guys who are rich, that's a lot. That's a big That's a big ticket. But <laughs> if the jock's making 30 or 40 grand a week, like some of the top guys are, finding them 5,000, it's kind of a nuisance. And if you find a, a smaller jockey 5,000, he, he's not going to have it. You're going to have to finance it. That was one of the things I always thought it was funny when people talked about finding trainers. Well, we should find trainers a hundred thousand. Like, yeah, right. You know how many trainers could pay a hundred thousand on a fine? About thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us would just declare bankruptcy to get out of it. Um, <laughs> where was where was at a meeting of somewhere? I can't remember what it was, and and um, that was one of the suggestions. Was was oh, it was an H. We we met some of the horsemen met with some of the regulators. And this is going back a ways, and they're trying to come up with you know a new system. And the the one of the guys had had this, this list of fines starting at like, well the fines have to be really you know uh, aggressive to get everyone's attention. And I looked at it and I laughed. And the guy's like, "Well, I said, dude, I don't play for the Mets, you know." Like, <laughs> You got five thousand, twenty thousand, fifty thousand dollar fines. Like, who do you think can pay this? Like, like Bafford and 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 you know Todd Pletcher. Like, who who else can pay this? I said, not to mention what you're talking about. Like for the the drugs that you're talking about, these are like mistake things. These are not like you know uh, um, real performance enhancing drugs that are gonna make horses run off the screen. This is like. You don't want to find a guy twenty five hundred for Butte? What are you crazy? <laughs> well, that's that that goes to the thing that you always talk about, where nobody knows the rules, especially you know guys like me in particular. I I, I couldn't tell you what would make a horse run faster and what wouldn't. Um, I, and I know you know just from from talking to people and hanging around and stuff like that that most of that stuff that they catch doesn't really do much. No. They Over catch this... It's it, just it, very minor. They're only catching the things they know about. The things you have to worry about are the things they don't know about. Which has always been the case. And most of the time, they come up with something. I told the story before about the, the, the horse, the harness horse. It was bought out of Chicago, went to New York, went to a top trainer, got to New York, and they paid a good amount of money for the horse. Got to New York, could not 
break two minutes. Like, was 30 lengths worse. Like, couldn't train, nothing worked. They finally sold the horse back to the people for, like, 20% of the original price. The horse went out there, a couple weeks later, went right back to winning. Years, years, years later, the guy finds out that they were giving the horse a torphine. Torphine is elephant juice. It's an elephant tranquilizer, a large, large, large animal tranquilizer. And when you take, when it's given in like minute doses, it makes the horses like literally run through the screen. And this horse, this horse was was four or five seconds faster with it than he wasn't without it. I mean, it made him from a just an ordinary horse to a, one of the best horses out there. And apparently, it didn't work like that on all the ho- on every horse, but. And you got to remember too. This is like in the early '80s. This is a long, long time ago. Now that drug would be would be um, identified like in a heartbeat. It, it would never get through. But um, uh, I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't guys taking advantage. But the number of them that are is it's, it's very, very, very low especially compared to the number that people think. And sometimes a guy, uh, I was in a conversation this morning about, oh, well, so-and-so's doing good now. He must have the, you know. No. He won three races the other day. Two of them were main track only, that so drew in and off the turf races. He was supposed to win those races, you know. Those, right. Like, context matters. And, and that's something that sometimes gets lost on Twitter and, and when people get, get a little crazy, in that context does matter, Yes. There are occasions where a guy is going to go on a hot streak, but he's going to go on a cold streak not that long after because he's going to lose a lot of conditions and the races right. are going to get tougher. Yeah. That that matters. Like you break your maiden and win eight of the ends, and then all of a sudden you have to run at stake horses. All those those firsts are going to turn into fourths, even if the horse is running as good as he was, because the competition gets tougher. But I I, I get it. You know, there's guys out there who who defy logic and horses improve a little too much a little too often i get it there's no doubt that that's suspicious but um but uh you know you see these polls and how many people trainers are cheating you know 80 percent of them come on man if you if you look at the total number of horses like at gulfstream palm meadows Gulfstream Park West, there's probably 300 trainers that have at least a couple horses. I, I would bet that there's a better chance that that uh, that 75% of them wouldn't have a single clue as, as to what uh, to use as a performance enhancing drug. And that's, that's, that's people that have a clue about it. I'm not saying the other 25% use it, but they might have a little bit of a clue. How many actually use it? I, I don't know, but I I see a lot of broke trainers out there. <laughs> a lot of broke trainers. <laughs> Which is crazy because, you know, like you said, people just don't, they don't, they don't, they don't really think about it logically, especially, you know, a lot of horse betters that kind of go off the cuff and they say and do things that, oh, you know, they, that just speaks to them um, not thinking about things logically, like you said, like, you know, you see some people I see on Twitter, um, just think that every single trainer is, 
juicing and every single jockey is cheating and it makes me wonder it's like why do you even bet why even do this bro that that's that's true and you know there was someone who made a rude inside the pylons who generally makes at least one appearance in our, our big monday show you know, he had written something the other day, and he was right, as usual. I mean, most of the things he writes are inconveniently true. And uh, someone who, with a racing partnership, kind of said something rude to him. Uh, like, you know, like he's crying, or, or why do you bet, or something like that. And he's like, this is a guy that's, that's trying to, that wants things to be better. That's frustrated to the point uh by the ineptness of, of of the gambling side of the business, which is something that he certainly knows much more about than most people in this business. And it just aggravates me to see people like that, especially a guy running a racing partnership, because you're basically taking other people's money and running a, a stable. Call it what you want. I have nothing against them. I think they're good ideas if they, if they treat people properly, for sure. Uh, it allows... Um, people that want to be a little bit more involved than owning one one millionth of a horse to, to actually, you know, play the game and, and, and have multiple horses. And, and, and essentially, they're inherently good things. But realize where your revenues come from. The slots revenue is not going to be here forever. And it's, it's so far beyond the time when we should have been planning on making uh, different moves in different states and trying to maximize schedules and race schedules and stake schedules and, and things like that, that it, it's just, it's almost egregious errors by, by the game as a whole. And that anyone who thinks that we're going to keep the, the numbers that we're keeping, put it this way. If you're a big proponent of cutting back racing, cutting back races, cutting back, cutting back, cutting back, consolidation, how do you go to the politicians and say you should keep giving us the same amount of money? You can't, because they're going to be like, well, this isn't the same as what it was before. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 right. <laughs> I said, I said how, how do I go to a politician and saying, yes, we had, we had 3,000 foals and now we have 800? So we we had we had fifty six farms. Now we have twenty two. We had um, one hundred and fifty race dates. Now we have seventy five. So all the people that work at the track in jobs other than being uh, you know backside workers, the people that get paid on a daily basis, the, the vendors and things like that, the the ticket punchers, the the people who sell ice cream, the janitors, all those people, you you just you turn a lot of them into part-time employees. So how can we go and justify getting the same percentage if the game is contracting and not expanding? Because we, most places, we went to the politicians and said, hey, we're going to use this money to, to get bigger, to get better, to get stronger. So that's, that's a factor that people just simply don't think about. So many, maybe this happens in other businesses and other, other industries, but... So many people in this business just assume that things will always be uh, like they always were. And when you look about, you look back and you see so many changes that, that have happened. And to think that 
this business might not look wildly different 10 or 15 years from now. It, it just is, it defies logic. It just defies logic. And, and I understand that not everybody's been around um, as in tune with bracing as I have. I, I was, you know, a kid that grew up in Saratoga. So I, I've been following racing since, I, you know, I was a little kid. And, and, yeah, and if you grew up in, uh, um, you know, Detroit, Michigan, you probably weren't uh, so in tune to racing. Or, or if you drew, grew up somewhere where that doesn't have racing. And, and that's, you know, another problem we talk about with tracks closing is, is that fewer and fewer and fewer people have exposure to, to racing, live racing. and But it's just one of those those quandary questions that no one seems to have a good answer for. And everybody kind of looks at you and you're like, yeah, you know, I didn't think about it that way. It's like, yeah, I know, because no one thinks critically about racing. And those of us that do get, a lot of times, get get criticized for for being forthright and and asking the, the tough questions a guy called me the other day he's got an idea he wants about a partnership this and that and and and, and uh you know I, I said well i'm gonna tell you all the reasons why it won't work and he got i said no no, no don't get mad at me i said thank me i'm trying to tell you the pratfalls to avoid everybody's gonna say you know patch in the back you, know, you, you just don't need the the sugar the sugary part of it you need both ends so you can make a good decision exactly if you, if you want to start a business the first thing you want to do is know what mistakes to avoid because the mistakes will kill you more than the enthusiasm will won't and and i said to him i said listen i'm going to tell you the the stuff you don't want to hear but this is this is your problem a b and c and don't blame me for it i'm just telling you I, i've seen this happen over 35 years, I've seen so many um, good-intentioned ideas not work because of various issues. So I, I, I'm trying to give you the issues so that you can be get ahead of them and, and have a, an answer for them when they do crop up. And, uh, well, as they say, some of the worst things ever that ever happened started off with good intentions. Absolutely, no question. I, I wish racetracks would come to, to, to people, that, like a panel of us, when they come up with these, these ideas before they go public with them and, and let people, like, hear them, N- not people that are employed by them, not, not yes people, not people that are trying to save the jobs, someone that doesn't. If you would come to me and said, hey, we got this idea about racing roulette and they showed it to me, I would have said, never show this to anyone ever. Ever, 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 never let this see the light of day. And whatever, whatever you paid for for the advice for this, never give those people any money either. This is the worst right. idea I've ever seen. Snatch it makes right zero hands. sense. But you know, like like giving an award to MyRacehorse.com as the new race, you know, the new owner of the year, and they're essentially not even owners. Which is how we got on this whole stupid subject. Yeah, that that was the ultimate like pat on the back, like you said. That that award is like, why? Why would you even go there? I mean, you know, I I would hope a lot of people know how spent thrift and my resource are basically the same thing. I, and I want people to understand: if you bought shares in the horse, I'm not criticizing you. 
you can spend your money however you want to do it. And and the fact of the matter was, you have a picture with your name on it and a Kentucky Derby winner, and I don't. And you know what? Good for you. I just don't think that this is a positive move as a whole for the industry. I just don't. It's just funneling more money to people that that they're not going to spend that money. He's going to go in their pocket. They're already spending a lot of money. They stand stallions. The stallion right, part of the business is killing us. Barry, right, hold on. We, we got to hold that thought. We have to go to commercial break. Okay. All right. We'll be back. One second. <laughs> All right. We're back here on the second half of the big Monday show. We're almost in overtime. Speaking of which, uh, have, have you heard anything about college basketball? Not a damn thing, sir. It's like it's like it's good, like no one has said a word about it. If you think about like where we are in the football season and the Pac-10 and Big Big Ten are still trying, <laughs> they're still trying to come up with a plan to play. <laughs> it's just really absurd, but I mean. Meanwhile, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, right? This would be a time when uh, March Madness and all that stuff would be starting, right? Around this time, usually midway through October. Yeah, midnight Madness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Midnight Madness. My bad, March Madness. I was wishful thinking. Midnight Madness was not going to happen. Midnight Madness, which, which jumped the shark about twenty years ago. <laughs> but um, yeah, when I was in school. Right, exactly. <laughs> but um. Wait, are you calling me old? That's not right. I'm older than you, unfortunately. <laughs> and today, with all the rain, I feel it, man. That's why I kind of, I'm so grouchy. This rain is killing me. But, um, Blame it on the rain. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Millie Vanilli song, man. I was just going to say that. <laughs> the young kids now have no idea who Millie Vanilli was. We didn't even really know who Millie Vanilli was. <laughs> Nobody knew who they really were. <laughs> oh man, back when back when they you could almost get away with kind of stuff like that. Almost, they did it for a while though. I have to give them credit there. They they definitely did. I, I tell you, the, the NFL is making racing looks look look <laughs> look genius because every weekend it's it's a new story with them. <laughs> Personally, I think the Patriots should have to forfeit the rest of their games and sit the season out. But I might be biased about that. Just a tad. Well, yeah. Uh, but uh, it's 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 kind of nuts. I mean, they're adjusting the schedules and and uh, and racing really hasn't had any issues. Knock on wood, for for quite a while now. Um, you know the Irad Ortiz tested positive but then he tested negative twice and he's back riding already so so who knows it's uh it seems like it's it's moving forward and i mean we have the breeders cup coming up and and it should be a i mean it's always an interesting group of races you, you finally get everybody running and no one's ducking i mean just this that alone is gonna give you worth it yeah um you know, we'll see Monomoy Girl again, hopefully. Um, I think the Classic is going to be a a really contentious race. I think uh, 
the Breeders' Cup turf, I, I don't have a clue as to who to bet in those kind of, I, I really don't know who who will, who's coming, who's not coming. I know the Aiden O'Briens are coming now. <laughs> and it was it was kind of, uh, you hate sometimes to um, to laugh at the misfortune of others, but the, the fact that the Aiden O'Brien ran two horses uh, with the, two, they had a mix-up in a stake the other day in, in, uh, in England where the jockey um, and the number, the saddle towel, were, were, the, were switched. And they, they ran the wrong horses. And that's after a week after Aiden had to scratch all those horses out of, uh, out of the races in France because of uh, feed contamination. But it's been a, it's been a rough week for, uh, for the, the boys over in Ireland. But, uh, yeah, I guess they'll be coming over and uh, enables officially retired. So she's definitely not coming over. But um, the sprint <laughs> almost seems like a battle of the ass musings. I, I haven't heard much about uh, Gamine since since the Oaks. Apparently, she's still pointing towards the um, the Philly sprint, which I thought she should have been pointed for all along. Yeah. But um, honestly, to me, she's the horse to beat in there, and I know that Serengeti. Empress will get all the money, but um, well, of course I know it's Baffert. I mean, how, the odds of a Baffert horse being a a, 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 a price that they should be it, it, that doesn't happen very often. Um, the Dirt Mile is kind of a kind of a mixed bag. I don't know what Vakuma's going to do. He hasn't run in a long time. He's just back on the work tab. It seems seems a little bit tardy getting getting you know we're, we're getting close to the race we're, we're a month away less than a month away so that'll be a I, I don't the mile seems like a pretty ordinary bunch this year I don't again I don't know what the Europeans are doing but coming over um, Jackie's warrior looks like a strong favorite in the juvenile the the, the juvenile Phillies looks like a good race. There's there's three yeah, or four. Yeah, definitely does. There's three or four horses from different regions that, that all look strong. So that'll that'll be a good race. But um, you know the Breeders' Cup is always it's always a good show. And the good betting races and uh, hopefully it, it goes off without a hitch. So uh, we'll see what happens. I'm excited for it to be honest. It's from a betting perspective, it's probably going to be the best betting opportunity of the year. Um, other than <clears throat> when tracks started coming back uh, from COVID, the COVID break, mm. when tracks started running again and horses were just coming off, you know, the, the, the hiatus, um, there was a lot of good opportunities there early. Yes, and, and big fields because guys hadn't run. Right. I mean, you, you, I, I remember when when Penn National um, got back to running. They ran like uh, a couple weekends with like thirteen races and thirteen horse fields. It was insane. Right. Yeah. 
hopefully we don't have any more COVID breaks. Personally, I'm sick of it. I know everybody else is too, but. Actually, not at this point. Oh, it's... You know what I'm sick of it more than anything is, is people arguing over it. Like, All right, enough. Yeah, I don't think that's going to stop, unfortunately, no matter what happens on Super Tuesday. No, people are just people are just content to be miserable and bring each other with them. <laughs> you know, I I don't know. Um, I don't know why people get so caught up in this crap. I mean, they just get like maybe it's just a reflection of our society and that people want like. I remember when reality TV first started, and I, I, I was like, why would people watch this? This is, like, <sighs> stupid. It's blasphemy. I love reality TV. I just couldn't understand why people would watch it, because it just was like, well, you know it's not real. Like, they're not going to let the guy die on the island, you know? They're not going to, you know, they're going to perform CPR <laughs> if the guy passes out, right? Not, you know, but, but I, I mean, I was completely wrong about it, obviously, because those shows persist and that seems like, uh, you know, there, there's America's Got Talent and the singing thing and <clears throat> n- none of which I can watch. I just can't. I'm sorry. I just maybe maybe five minutes. Hurt my feelings, man. I don't know. Listen, people have different, you know. I am all about the mass singer. The mass singer. I, I, don't, I never even saw that one. Dude, you got to get on the bus. It's phenomenal. The Masked Singer. Yeah. Wonder why? I wonder who said, you know what we'll do? We'll have a guy sing, but we'll put a mask on him. I don't know, but they need a raise. <laughs> uh, well, maybe maybe they're producers for the show. <clears throat> I don't know. I'm just... Uh, I'll be happy when I, when I don't have to face fifty two emails a day. Joe Biden. Joe Biden sends me emails. Obama sends me emails. Trump sends me emails. Governors of different states send me emails. Some reason the Biden campaign has my email and they think my name is Betty. So <laughs> I get emails all the time. Betty, you you've got to understand where we're coming from, and I'm like, you know. It was like that uh, movie Airplane. And don't call me Shirley. <laughs> it just dated us again, but uh, yeah, man. And, and the 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 TV ads. I lo- I like know them by heart now. They're brutal. The TV ads. They're just brutal. I, I would say, like seventy five percent of the ads now are political ads. Yeah, that's that's that's. That's actually being a little conservative. Some of the local, some, down here in South Florida, some of the local ads are just vicious. I mean, vicious. <laughs> Those guys, they take their gloves off, man. But it, sometimes I make it, you think to yourself, just think about the amount of money spent on political campaigns. How much money, like how many things we could do in this world with that money if we so choose to do it? 
it's it's just staggering sir. a staggering amount of money it really is a staggering amount of money I don't know how we got into social topics but because that's what we do man we're well-rounded individuals it's not always horse racing all the time but it is <laughs> I'm a little more well-rounded than I was about six months ago <laughs> <laughs> I gotta stop Me eating. Me too. That, that's that's why I gotta stop barbecuing on, on the weekends. I gotta stop eating. It's it's brutal. Uh, you can't stop eating. What is that? That's nonsense, sir. That's what jockeys do, man. Nah, I'm not. I'm not into the fasting thing. I gotta slow down. Sometimes it's just the hunger, man. It gets me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it rains. Raining, rain makes me hungry. And it's been raining like so much down here. Like Gulfstream Park West has had like three turf races. It seems like, like off the turf, off the turf, off the turf, off the turf. Man, it's just uh, it's just been awful. I mean, the NBA yeah, season I finally ended. They, they ran. They finally ran some races on the turf yesterday, which was amazing. Yeah, they took two off and then they ran a couple more, but. Which is, you know, they, they've been doing the right thing and, and, and not running them because in prior years they've run early on the turf when they shouldn't at Gulfstream Park West and, and by the end of the meet it was so bad the jocks wouldn't even ride on it. So, and, and it's not like these are the prima donna jocks. These are, you know, these are the guys that... Hardcore guys. Yeah. A bunch of these guys came from, you know, Venezuela and places where you know, they had a wooden rail and stuff. So, yeah, safety, safety first isn't isn't the priority, but but um, but you know the NBA is finally over. Yes, in the greatest of all time, one once again. The Don't Bulls, at me. The Bulls didn't play. No, they definitely didn't play because LeBron is the greatest. We all know this. Put it this way. Nobody wants to admit it because they just want to attack me on Twitter. Here, here, I'm, I'm going to give really you. really upset I'm gonna about give how you, he left the court, yet they still won the championship. I'm, go, I'm going to give you one thought on that. Okay. 20 years from now, no one's going to watch a 10-part documentary on LeBron. Probably not, because he's not a dick. You know, if he was a dick like Jordan, then you're probably right. But he's not, so... But he's done other things. He's more of a philanthropist-type dude. And Junior and Blake, uh, I won't have that blasphemy. <laughs> I will not have the blasphemy of you comparing the Deshaun Watson to Michael Jordan, okay? Oh. Remember one thing about Michael no. Jordan. Before, Phil Jackson was made by Michael Jordan, not vice versa. Tell remember, me what you meant. Remember one thing. The playoff game against the Celtics, the 63 points, before Phil Jackson. The ELO game, before Phil Jackson. He was a yeah, legend before Phil Jackson. Before Phil Jackson is a very smart man, and he decided to coach the Bulls when they had Jordan and Pippen, and he decided to coach the Lakers when they had um, uh, Shaq and uh, Kobe. And then he took a job with the Knicks. 
and he was a mess because something about that Jimmy Dolan just makes people nuts. But I think. but come on, man. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I'm glad I didn't see that because I'd probably still be talking come about on, Facebook. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I said, listen, you can say what you want about Bill O'Brien. He might be one of the worst GMs ever. But the team won ten. The Texans won ten games last year. They won eleven games the year before. And Deshaun Watson has played well in every season, including this one. He's not like. I said, you know, you're kind of like backhanded, <laughs> slapping the guy in the face, but because he's playing well. The, the fact that the you know the coach slash GM traded away like all these good players and traded away all these picks. Miami has their first two picks, but this year, by the way. Which is a good thing, because as Fitz Mad Magic showed yesterday, they can be a force. But in San Francisco, they must really stink. But um, it's hard to believe that the NBA season literally started a year ago, just ended <laughs> a year. Uh, I remember because my fantasy basketball team basically ended. In March, and, and everybody was like, "You know what? This season isn't even going to happen." So, you know, everybody was in the top three; they're going to get paid, and everybody else is so sad to that it's over. And they just finished yesterday. It's funny we talk about like oh, last year, this year. It did. It took an entire year to finish. Baseball looks like it'll be over relatively soon, and. Uh, <laughs> Like I said, we don't know about we don't know what basketball, college basketball is gonna what's gonna go on there, and the NFL is like it changes week to week, and I'm thinking, man, a couple of weeks ago we had we were like like last night they had the the Seahawks Minnesota game on and um, baseball was on and and uh, the the NBA was on all, all with three three uh, you know. Two playoff atmospheres and and Russell Wilson uh, on the same <laughs> night, and in uh, a couple of weeks from now we're going to be missing that. We'll be wishing we still had stuff. Well, Tampa, I mean, they they could they could be the the champions of COVID. You got a hockey championship and maybe a World Series. They look good. I don't know where they get these guys, but they come up with them and, and they. they like they're unheralded, and when they get to Tampa, they just become machines. If they were, listen, if they were thoroughbred trainer training the Tampa Bay Rays, nobody would believe he's legit. Nobody would believe it. This guy's this guy's winning greatest stakes with 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 twelve thousand dollar yearlings. Come on, man, we don't believe this crap. The Yankee the Yankees have all the eight hundred thousand dollar yearlings that that that, that are always broke down and make one start a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not feeling too strong about Tampa's football chances. I'm not feeling. Why not? I'm not feeling the. I'm not feeling the Bucks. I'm not feeling the Bucks. I'm just not feeling it. Somebody's feeling them. Tom Brady and company. I'd like Tom Brady to feel pain. <laughs> I like him to get sacked at least twelve times a game. Why are you so salty, man? I just don't like him. 
bothers me. Tom certainly likes Tom. <laughs> Tom looks like uh, the second coming of Jameis. I do tell you, though, there there is one consistency in sports that never seems to fail anymore. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the New York Jets. <laughs> Man, they're horrible, dude. The pathetic nature of the Jets. And I'm probably speaking too soon since they, they play Miami this week. But um, I actually might see if I can get tickets to the game. They gotta be cheap, right? I mean, <coughs> you would think. <laughs> I mean, there can't be usually for the Jets. There's a lot of people coming down from New York for the games, and you know, most of the time they're just coming down for vacation. But I've seen some unbelievably good fights at Miami Jet games. Some some really <laughs> really good fights. I mean, excellent fights. Like, like not just like you know beer tossing, like real fights. A couple years ago. When I had season tickets, we saw a guy, uh, uh, he looked a little like a skinny Ultimate Warrior. He had long hair, and kind of like a marked up face, and he had like a, um, <laughs> trying to think, um, he had a, a jersey of, a, of, a, of an old jet, uh, Al Toon, he had like an Al Toon jersey, like a green jersey. And I saw the, the, the Miami-Dade sheriffs pulling him out of there by his hair. He, they were dragging this guy up the, up the, up the aisle. So I don't, know if he t- he, I don't know what kind of fight he got in, but he took a lot worse whipping from the police <laughs> than, than he did from the fans. But there's always, always, always some action, extracurricular action when the Dolphins and Jets play. We saw Spike Lee one time um, really? get taunted leaving the stadium. So, Spike, you know, it's amazing how, how small that guy is. Oh, he's tiny. He's not quite Kevin Hart tiny, but... No, but he's close. He is small. Oh, man. So, that's about all I got for tonight. Yeah, you know, it's just you gotta you gotta coast into the Breeders' Cup right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be a slow couple of weeks. You know, every time that either of us has said that, I know something crazy happens. Something nuts happens. So, buckle up, sir. Well, it's never a bad thing. I have some good ideas for podcasts lately, though. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I really I want to do one about New England, and and some of the stories. There's some I've heard some great stories, um, about Suffolk, uh, Rockingham, the fairs, and, and just uh, some really crazy stories about about racing in New England and and, and uh, some of the. Some of the goings ons at the the Great Barrington Fair and <coughs> running running wrong horses and all kinds of stuff, but but uh, yeah, I'd like to do a show on that. Probably our one of the Tuesday shows, and uh, I got a couple other ones in, in the pipeline. 
I really want to do an Alan Jerkins show and get a bunch Please of people. Please do. Um, get, get Jimmy. Jimmy's got some great stories. Might have to give him a couple drinks of wine or something to get him really loosened up. Because Jimmy hates to talk, but but he, he has some unbelievably good stories. And um, Ralph Thoreau, he's got a bunch of good stories. Uh, Mike Kelly, uh, the Kelly family, he did, was a jock agent. Was a trainer for a while. Uh, I think Pat. I think he's. I think Pat Kelly's either his brother or his cousin. I don't know. There's so many of them. I can't figure out who, who's how to relate it. But he's got some really good stories, and um, there's just so many of them out there. And I think that's one of the things. Like when I first started doing this, I didn't want it just to be like, you know, Chuck rages on the industry every week because <laughs> sometimes. There's plenty of opportunity to do that, and then this business like just serves it up like, <laughs> you know, thirty miles an hour, like right down the middle of the plate for you. But, but there's so many really good stories out there, and and th- that you can't get other places. I mean, um, I think that's really one of the things I wanted to do was, was to, people like that. People like hearing about about uh, about old horses and about old races and. Uh, I want to get, and I know a lot of people like, you know, roll their eyes, but I want to get Patrick Biancone on to talk about all along because what she did in, in the fall of 1983 was was something that's just more or less unprecedented. And, and I put a post up on Saturday, I think, about it, about winning the ARC on October 2nd, uh, coming over. And she won the ARC, she was 25 to 1. She was actually a really touted, highly thought of three-year-old that had kind of, um, didn't have a, much of an early four-year-old season. And I'd actually like to talk to him about that. I've never spoke to him about that part, part of her year. But um, she ran in the arc on October 2nd. She won on uh, October 16th. She won the Rothmans International, which was a grade one, which was a huge race back in the day. Um, essentially, it, it was part of a three-pronged Breeders' Cup turf in that the uh, the Rothmans, the turf classic at, at uh, uh, she, the year she won it was actually at Aqueduct and um, the the DC International, which is a race that doesn't even exist anymore. Um, they, these were three grade one races and she won all of them. She swept all of them after winning the ARC. So these days, most of the time a horse wins the ARC and that's it for the season. Maybe they might come over and contest the Breeders' Cup, but it hasn't happened in a long time, or at least hasn't happened much. And she she won the Rothmans International at Woodbine on October 16th. On October 29th, she won the Turf Classic at Aqueduct. And, and then she came back two weeks later, I think it was uh, November 2nd, and she won the DC International at Laurel. And she won them all by open lengths, just galloped. And was named Horse of the Year um, because of it, because she had those three dominant wins essentially in a month. She had a 42-day period where she won four grade one races on two continents and three countries. You know, that's, that's, that's like unprecedented. It's never happened before. And, and virtually nobody knows about it these days. Nobody even knows it happened. And it was funny that a guy had spoken about Swiss Skydiver, and um, certainly Swiss Skydiver is, is a rarity 
um, among modern horses in, in her campaign of running all over the place and racing against boys. But uh, you, you look at what Lady Secret did as a three-year-old. And the funny thing with Lady Secret was she wasn't a big, robust horse, and she was an Oklahoma bred. And Wayne didn't, admittedly, wasn't all that high on her um, coming into her three-year-old season, where he had run her in some restricted stakes up at Bay Meadows, which back then the, the Wayne Lucas stable was the only super trainer. He was the only guy. Yeah, who no, had horses everywhere, yeah. and he he wasn't looking to win restricted stakes pay medals with horses. He was looking to win the big ones. He would run first, second, and third in, in Breeders' Cup uh, fillies and the Distaff and the Juveniles, and so th- this was a guy that was shooting high. So when he runs them up in races like that, then he he's he's you know saying I don't think much of her, but she kept getting better and better and better, and she wound up winning the Test. She won the Alabama. She beat older horses. And uh, she would have maybe won Horse of the Year in 1986 if um, if she had won the Distaff. But she got beaten at Distaff by, by Life's Magic, who was also trained by Lucas and also owned by Gene Klein, who was an older horse. She was a really good horse, really good horse. But um, Lady Secret ran 17 times as a three-year-old, and she won 10. Incredible. And... He backed off her as a four-year-old. He only ran her 15 times, and she won 10. So she won 20 races as a three- and four-year-old, virtually all of them stake races, virtually all of them greatest stake races. She beat the boys in the Whitney. She she not, not only beat them, she, she, she beat them handily. Beat them well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she was some horse. And... I. I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm like upset or anything, but when people say, "Well, you know, is this the greatest year by a you know three-year-old filly?" I'm like, "No, no, not even close." <laughs> it's it compared to the last twenty, twenty-five years. Yes, it's a great season, and, and, and listen, I'm not taking anything away from the horse. She's a really good horse, and under the modern theory of training and racing, she is certainly an, an outlier. But I mean, some of these horses and some of the stories that can still be told. Um, need to be told I, I just think that they need to be told and I think people would be interested in them and to find out about about like some of the things that used to happen and, and how um, how racing has changed so much and uh, it, it's just kind of an incredible uh, some of the stories that and the horses of the past that just kind of don't get any uh, they're just not spoken about anymore and, and uh, I mean, we're not that old. We're not 90 years old, you know? Like, we're talking about citation. I mean, I'm talking about horses that raced in the 80s and the 90s. And you know, some, of the, some of the battles in the 90s, like Formal Gold, I mean, Formal Gold, if Formal Gold was racing in the Breeders' Cup Classic this year, he would win by 10. He was, he was run 128 pyres, you know? These horses were really good, and he was never even the best horse in in his in his generation. Cause Skipaway was better than him, not much, not much better. But and then you know after Skipaway we had Cigar, and then we kind of knocked Cigar, even though he was winning all those races. You know the the kind of the general thought was, eh, he's beating a lot of really bad horses, you know. And then you know the most unfortunate thing that happened. One of the most unfortunate racing things that happened in my lifetime was was Holy Bull breaking down because 
they could have had my feelings. They they could have had an unbelievable rivalry, an unbelievable rivalry. Um, and as it turns out, Cigar, you know, took the baton and just you know dominated the rest of that year. Um, and that not like I said, not to take anything away from Cigar, he was certainly a, an exceptionally good horse, but. If Holy Bull had been around, I don't think that he that streak exists. I think that they maybe take turns beating each other, but um, but that that was uh you know there there was so many strong races horse a horse like Manila. I mean, I I find it shocking that it took Manila this long to get into the Hall of Fame, and I would ask any voter, like, what are you thinking of? How <laughs> Like seriously, look at his record. Look at his record. You, you could yeah, easily that, call that, him that, the that best. Was, that was a head scratcher for me too. I, I just didn't get that one. Yeah, I was, I was, I was surprised that. I, I was like, do you know that he's probably the best turf horse in the United States, to, U.S. turf horse that I ever saw. The, the best, probably your, you know born and bred in, in, in the U.S. turf horse that we saw. And it took him 25 years to get in the Hall of Fame, which is nuts. 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 I, and I, I don't know, like, um, I don't like arguing for jockeys or trainers as much because it's so hard to kind of figure out, even horses, but how do you compare the numbers these days when these guys have these huge stables and these jockeys that are riding for the huge stables have 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 you know the money's so out of whack and uh like uh, like Corey Nakatani how is he not in the hall of fame I just wonder and I know you know people say well you know he was he was uh you know not a great personality who cares who cares right, his body of work merits the, the Hall of Fame. He I'm won like sure. ten Breeders' Cup races. And that's when they that that's not when the Breeders' Cup had twenty seven races a year. That's when they were running, you know, six and eight or I think eight. You know, it's the guy's he, he's he has the body of work. I, I, I just sometimes it's 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 interesting why some people just don't get um don't get in. I, I just thought he would be in easily. Safely kept was another one. So the horse won like like thirty stake races, you know, like grade ones <laughs> against boys. Like, what what more does the horse have to do? I, I go, who in modern racing would be comparable to that? You know, to, to, like her, nobody. And eventually, she finally got in, and people, while well, Philly sprinters, well, it's like kickers in the NFL Hall of Fame. How many kickers have won and lost games? You know. So, so like, why aren't we recognized the best ones? Um, I mean, they're part of the game, right? So, I just that was something that that you know for a long time that you know, people didn't want to want to do it, and I, I guess at some point we're gonna have to put a turf sprinter in. You know, I mean, run lots of turf sprints these days, and there's more and more stakes races for them, and there's no one yet that probably. Uh, is going to get any any thought about doing that. But what if someone comes along and wins the Breeders' Cup turf sprint for three years running? you got to consider, right? <laughs> I remember when turf sprints were novelties. 
like Atlantic City Racecourse would have them, and like Mid-Atlantic Tracks would have them. Delaware would run some. They were kind of like literal, literally like novelties. People in New York would thumb their nose up at them. Santa Anita had down the hill, you know, but that was like a totally oh, different kind of kind of deal. And now they got a turf shoot there and the cross the track and I'm not really sure why crossing one track and crossing the other track I I don't know I mean I guess but I guess it'll help some but I, it, it's a little confusing to me <laughs> why, why one part of the track you can cross over but the other part of the track you can't cross uh, over you can't yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um, made somebody feel better somewhere along Honestly, anything they do out there to try to get more participation in the races is is, is got to be a a welcomed idea because it's it, things are tough out there. I don't know how to fix it either. I mean, I really don't. I, I, you know, you can think, you? I mean, it, it may be too far gone. I just don't know how to fix things out there. I think expenses are, are a big problem. And it's just very, very expensive to have a horse out there. And um, these days, there's... If you have a horse that's worth ten, twelve thousand dollars ten hard-knocking 8, 10, 12, 15 claimers, those are the meat and potato races for a place like Goldstream, you know? Well, you could train a horse down here for way less than you can train a horse in California. It's just not even close. Right, the economics are so just different. So, how yeah. can you, how can you justify paying, hundred and ten, hundred and fifteen dollars a day to have a horse who's worth fifteen, trained? You're, you're talking after you pay, uh, just basic vet work, basic and you know expenses. You're talking four thousand dollars a month. So if your horse is worth ten, two and a half months, you, you've paid more in expenses than the horse is worth. And the purses, you know, aren't aren't that great. I mean, the California purses just aren't that great compared to the expenses. Um, so it, it's it's a rough. How, how do you get horses out there? I know that Del Mar, uh, shipping program has has helped somewhat for sure. They they've it's been a success, no doubt. But it seems like the same guys get all the horses. And I know that um, I, I remember one time. Someone who who would know these things told me that there was like uh, seventeen hundred horses at Santa Anita, and and eight hundred of them were trained by like four guys. Jeez. And or maybe that's, it wasn't Santa Anita. Maybe it was Santa Anita and uh, and uh, and um, San Luis Rey combined, but it was like a, a ridiculous percentage. And he said, "This is why we really struggle to fill races." You know, and it's it's just it, it's such a it's such a expensive market and and purses matter. I mean, purses do matter. I know that the betters especially kind of like will shun. And there's a lot of cases where purses have gone up in places, and the quality of racing hasn't really gone up as it should. But by the same token, you just look at the the risk reward factor at a place like Southern California and you got to spend fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year to train a horse who's worth 10 or 12 that that's nuts and if you're running for $25,000 purses 
Well, you got to win four of them. How many horses win four races a year? <laughs> right? Not as many as you think. <laughs> like 2%. It's like, it's like some crazy number. It's some crazy small number. Someone gave me the stats one time. The horses, how many horses A didn't race in training didn't race. Um, the number of horses that raced and didn't didn't win a race in a given year. The number of horses who won one race. Number of horses won two races and one over three. And um, like when you get to like three or four, I think four, it was like 2%. And that's including all classes of horses. You, you might have went four races with a five claimer, a sixty-two-five, a seventy-five hundred. You know, not all like stakes quality or allowance quality. Just, just, uh, just such a, a very a minute number. And, and that that's that's one of those issues that I I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I really don't. And California is is a tough thing because we need California in horse racing. The NFL was able to survive without Los Angeles as as a base for teams because the NFL is is so massively strong that a lot of it's not it's not even that regional anymore and that a big a good team no matter where they're based out of people are going to watch it and they're going to bet they're on much, it yeah. you know yeah, right so so that's that's the thing that but when when we racing doesn't have a, a a state like California strongly supported, that there's a ton of money that we we're gonna lose as an industry. People in California are still gonna bet, but it's gonna be a smaller percentage, and they're probably gonna bet less because they're not betting their home track. And yes, if you live in LA. And Belmont starts at 1. That means Belmont starts at 10. 10 a.m. for those people. 10 a.m. It's, it's it's just... It's tough. It's it's really, really tough to, to think that... Uh, you know, California racing is, is in such dire straits. But Yeah, it's pretty sad, you know. Especially, you know, the way... Uh, uh, you know, things went down with Hollywood Park and... Fairplex, and you know it's just been a steadily decline, and it's not getting any better. And that's the most alarming thing to see. And and, and Los Los Al is on its it's on its way out. Way out. There's it's not even a question of if it's when. And there have been reports about um, Del Mar being solvent because. of of the you know Del Mar is not is, is owned by the county I guess and and uh, you know with the COVID issues they haven't been able to make make nearly enough money that they, they need to make um, I guess they hold a lot of other things at Del Mar at the fairgrounds other than just the racing and you know nothing's essentially nothing's been able to be held out there so I I read somewhere I can't remember someone showed me a link about where they were kind of not thinking that if things didn't go back to normal pretty quick, that they didn't have enough money to make it through another two years. So, and, and what happens in that situation? I, I have no idea. I have no idea. And, you know, Golden Gate is... Golden Gate is, is kind of on an island, and um, 
I mean, it's it's low quality racing, and it's not even it's low quality racing and, and relatively small fields, and they just don't have the the horses to to draw from. So again, the, you know, you're in California, you have a high workman's comp rate. You, you know, just things in general are expensive. The San Francisco area is an expensive area to live, and like the only thing relatively cheap out there is hay, but everything else is, is, is expensive and I mean it's hard it's hard to believe that that's where we're at that that's where we're at in California I, I wasn't that long ago where California and New York were clearly the, the the big dogs and I mean it was about two years ago or three years ago that Florida passed California um, in handle numbers and if you go back 20 years Florida's numbers weren't even like remotely close to California. It wasn't even like close to what was was way, way, way less. So, and some of that is due to Gulfstream year round has certainly increased, um, you know, the Florida handle for sure, and Tampa's handle has gone up as well. But the state of California. In the state of New York, Naira and, and the Southern California circuit were equals. And there's still a lot of really good horses in California. But outside of those A-level horses, it drops off really fast. And there just aren't that many of them. So, that's a that's that's another problem that I, I don't, you know, like I said, I don't know how we're going to solve that problem. I don't know if we can solve that problem, but um, but it, it's certainly uh, it's certainly not. Uh, when 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 California does six million dollars on a Saturday, that's trouble. Yeah, <laughs> that's not good. No. So. Anyways, leaving on a cheery note. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're not supposed to talk about fantasy football, but I needed Drew Brees to throw like six touchdowns tonight. And I don't yeah, I haven't even looked. I got kind of blindsided because one of my running backs played for Denver and they were like a late scratch and all these late changes. I know like it's played havoc with fantasy football. It just <laughs> There's just only so many guys to go around, and when your guys suddenly be, get a bye week and you weren't expecting it, it, it makes it tough to come up with viable candidates to replace them. Yeah, that, that's rough. I know nobody cares about my fantasy football team. But I did need Drew, and Drew's starting to look like those eight-year-olds that used to be steak horses. And now they're trying to run him for a quarter. <laughs> and everybody's like, I can't believe no one's claiming him and taking him out of training. <laughs> Drew, you're about there, buddy. He's got the <laughs> He's got the arm strength of uh of a guy with a rotator cuff. Torn. In half. Yeah. Well, Mr. Spears, it's been real as always and uh, like you said as soon as we say something is 
nothing's going on. I'm sure there will be a bunch of things happen. <laughs> That's an understatement. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Because it's only Monday. That it is. That Big it Monday. Is. Big Monday. Well, tomorrow... I don't. Uh, I don't exactly know what we're gonna have on our show tomorrow. Got a couple calls out, but we have some. Some we have yet to get any confirmation. We're trying to work the schedule, figure out who can who can be available at what time. Well, if anybody can work the schedule, it's you. Yeah, I guess. I guess. We'll get my man Casey. We're driving crazy. That's my man. <laughs> That's a good dude, man. All right. Well, listen, Barry Spears, you have a good rest of the the night, and uh, we'll talk for sure. And the Grand Circuit's finally over, so... Uh, we're in trouble. We, we're going to be forced to play Meadowlands once again. The Meadowlands will be... Uh, it'll be more palatable this coming weekend and the next few weekends. We won't have... <laughs> we, we won't have uh, the the semi amateur drivers, so. Still with uh, Victor Kirby, you'll be all set. Victor Kirby is actually pretty good. You know, Victor Kirby was like a basketball star. Yeah. Or something. That's what that's what I've heard. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I was unaware of that, but he's Victor Kirby's okay. May he might. Might break into the big leagues pretty soon. Hope so. So. All right, Barry. I appreciate your your time as always. Always a pleasure to be on, my man. You got it, man. Talk to you later. All right, see ya. That was Big Monday's co-host Barry Spears coming to you live from Central Florida. We um, we will have a show tomorrow, Going in Circles Live. We'll make an announcement probably around noon as to who's going to be on. Um, a couple, like I said, we had a couple calls. We, we got a sale going on, which always makes things a little more difficult. Uh, but, um, you know, getting a hold of people. But uh, we'll have a we'll have a couple. A couple of the guests are, are, could be potentially really good and um like i said tomorrow it's already shit 11 o'clock so uh tuesday we'll probably around noon we'll we'll put out the guest lineup and uh we'll go from there and if you've made it this far i appreciate you listening and hopefully uh hopefully we at least entertained you a little bit we'll talk to everyone tomorrow bye